0: For as the light of the morning cometh out of the east, and shineth even unto the west, and covereth the whole earth, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Therefore sanctify yourselves, that your minds become single to God, and the days will come that you shall see him. For he will unveil his face unto you, and it shall be in his own time, and in his own way, and according to his own will. This is unveiling Jesus Christ. Hello again to all you podcasters. Welcome once again to Unveiling Jesus Christ and another podcast where we will be talking this week about Revelation chapter 2 verse 11. It corresponds to section 19 in my book and the general topic of discussion is the fact that saints won't be hurt by the second death. Now, last week, you may recall, I did a podcast on John's second letter to the saints in Smyrna, and that was Revelation 2, 8 through 10. And in that podcast, we talked a little bit about the 10 days of tribulation that the saints were going to be subject to, and the admonition to be thou faithful, unto death and so that kind of ends with this a little bit of a message of martyrdom of the faithful saints in smyrna and if they were faithful unto death then they would receive a crown of life well this week we're talking a little bit about the flip side of that same coin saying not only will you be able to receive a crown of life you will not be hurt of the second death. So, this is part of a uh, promise that antithetically parallels the promised crown of eternal life in Revelation 2.10. Now, Bruce R. McConkie illustrates their opposite meaning when he said, quote, He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. That is, he shall have eternal life, which is to dwell in the presence of God forever. He shall not die spiritually meaning he shall not be cast out of the presence of God and die as pertaining to things of righteousness, close quote. So with that little bit of an introduction in mind, let's uh, jump right into the one verse we're going to be covering today, which is Revelation chapter 2, verse 11, which states, quote, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Close quote. Now, this introductory phrase about he that uh, hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith, this is John's exhortation to the saints in Smyrna, as it is with all the saints in all seven churches, and uh, literally to all saints speaking universally. The main point of this verse that we really want to talk about today is this phrase, He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Now to say that someone won't be hurt is kind of a judicial term signifying he shall not be wrongfully adjudged to the second death. And this is kind of stands in contrast with the temporal death of the Smyrnian saints. They were treated unjustly, they were treated hurtfully, but their injury was always associated with the first temporal death. What the promise is that pertains to in this verse is that there shall be no injury or injustice done with respect to the second death or a spiritual death. Uh, And these are related terms that we're gonna go through in a little bit more detail. So the, the word second death or the phrase second death is used four times by John in the book of Revelation. It is not used anywhere else in the New Testament. This promise of eternal life is repeated 12 times in Revelation 2 through 3. And so if you go back to the podcast I did on February 10th that was talking about Revelation There's this discussion about how overcomers will be able to eat from the tree of life and I there talked about the fact that um, there are 12 different promises that similarly promise uh, eternal life in uh, the book of Revelation, and so the Ephesians were the ones promised in verse 7 that they would partake of the tree of life, and now with the Smyrnians, uh, this promise of eternal life is illustrated by the symbolic imagery that they would not be hurt by the second death. Now, second death is both a place and a condition, and this is illustrated in three separate verses. The first was is in uh, Revelation 21, 8 that says, quote, but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and the sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Close quote. Now, in this verse, we get a clear indication that the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone is the second death. It's a, it's a place where all these really bad people end up uh, and suffer a condition of second death, but here it's defined as kind of a place. Now, this is also the case in Doctrine and Covenants section 63 verse 17, which says, quote, wherefore I The Lord have said that the fearful and the unbelieving and all liars and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie and the whoremonger and the sorcerer shall have their part in that lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death close quote. So once again, we have a, a clear demarcation that this lake of fire and brimstone is the second death. It's a place, and that parallels what uh, John said to us in Revelation 21a. But then contrast that now with Jacob 3.11 from the Book of Mormon, which says, quote, Loose yourselves from the pains of hell, that ye may not become angels to the devil, to be cast into that lake of fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Close quote. So, in this verse, we again find the reference to the fact that the lake of fire and brimstone is the second death. But in addition to that, we get some idea as to the nature of the condition that exists in that place with reference to the pains of hell and becoming angels to the devil. So the second death symbolically is called the lake of fire. We find it again in Revelation 20 verses 14 and 15, which we'll, we'll have a discussion about that months down the road when we get uh, further along, but uh, the idea that we have the lake of fire that burns with fire and brimstone is a symbolic meaning. It has reference to or represents eternal torment and damnation, and so whosoever is not found written in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire. This is a figurative name that actually comes from the Hinnom or Gehenna Valley in Jerusalem, which was a a place that had these most horrifying and abominable practices ever to defile uh, Israel. Uh, Solomon built places for the worship of Moloch here in uh, Gehenna or the Hinnom Valley. There were infant sacrifices sponsored by the wicked kings Ahaz and Manasseh and uh, Josiah spread human bones and other corruptions in this place. So it's a it's a really kind of a a yucky place. In the Meridian of time, it was a place for the the landfill. You know, uh, it was for garbage, for dead animals, and for human corpses that uh, didn't have enough money to uh, have a proper burial. That's pretty much where you ended up and were burned with the rest of the trash. So it's, this is kind of a sulfurous cesspool of uh, Jerusalem that was continually burning with fires uh, from the refuse from uh, the city. Now, it's also a place that is referred to as Topheth or Tophet. Um, this is probably an Aramaic term, which meaning which means the place of fire. It's also a Greek transliteration of the Hebrew words Gi Hinnom, uh, or the Valley of Hinnom. Ju- Jesus uses the expression at least ten times, with his most famous expression of the term being in the Sermon of the Mount, which we find in Matthew five twenty two. quote, But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Close quote. So uh, I want to define a couple of terms that we see in here. First of all, Jesus makes reference to this word, Raka. This is an Aramaic term, uh, reek, Uh, Meaning empty, vain, or worthless. So if you're telling your brother you're empty, you're vain, and you're worthless, uh, then you're going to be in danger of the council which has reference to uh, the Sanhedrin. That's the Greek word from which that term is derived. Um, Now, if you say that uh, you're a fool, then you're in danger of hellfire, which comes from this Greek word we've been talking about, Gehenna, or the Hebrew equivalent, esh geh literally the fire of the Hinnom Valley. Um, So that's what all of those phrases mean. And and this is an illustration of where uh, Jesus makes reference to uh, the Hinnom Valley um in terms of uh this notion of uh, the lake of fire so let's talk a little bit about now what the uh the meaning is of second death in some religions there is a belief that it means a complete destruction or annihilation of the soul or the spirit after physical death, however, that's not the case. There is no dissolution or annihilation of either the body or the spirit. Um, now I say spirit because the spirit cannot be destroyed and cannot die. It is eternal, and in the same sense, a resurrected body that resurrected that resurrects from the same elements from whence it uh, existed in mortality to become an immortal and everlasting body means that it also cannot be, even though you know, dust to dust and uh, thou shalt return, blah, blah, blah. And so we have the uh, concept that uh, um, the resurrection and the, uh, will bring about the uh, inseparable connection of the spirit and the body and so this the idea that you have a second death is certainly not the denial of resurrection to the contrary both body and spirit will rise again what it does mean is that uh after the resurrection and and before, as we'll talk about, because there's this temporary condition of spiritual uh, death. um, What it means is essentially the banishment from the presence of God and a banishment from partaking of things of righteousness. Now, second death in its strictest sense refers only to the type of death suffered by sons of perdition, and that includes both those who are unembodied as well as those who are disembodied. And to make the distinction, the unembodied uh, spirit sons of perdition are those that rebelled with Lucifer in the premortal existence, and they were condemned to a second death, at the time of their rebellion it was an irrevocable decree because uh, they uh, had openly and willfully and knowingly rebelled against the father and the plan of salvation and his son jesus christ and so their fate is to suffer a second death Uh, technically speaking uh, they don't ever die a first death because they don't have the ability to receive a physical body Um, but this notion of a second death means a second spiritual death where they are banished uh, eternally and forever from the presence of god now Contrast that with the uh, sons of perdition who commit the unpardonable sin in this life, and when they die and become disembodied spirit sons of perdition, they then also can suffer a second death, and so for them, truly, there is a second death because they suffer a first physical death followed by a second physic spiritual death. Um, or this banishment from the uh, presence of God and from all things righteous. So uh, essentially those who sin uh, unto the second death are those unembodied spirit sons of perdition and those disembodied spirit sons of perdition who die or are cut off forever from things of righteousness. In Alma chapter 12, these types of people are described as those who are chained down to an everlasting destruction it is a, a statement of their final condition where uh, the devil seals people as his own and uh, he has all power over them and this is a permanent kind of uh, condition and so essentially uh, in this condition there is no glory there is no light there is no presence of god in any form and so these uh, individuals uh, are hopelessly lost they cannot be redeemed to any form of individual salvation now let me stress if i may this concept of individual salvation It means that uh, they will be resurrected, and so in that sense, uh, they enjoy a general resurrection, a physical redemption that comes to all mortals regardless of how they have lived. And so you have to distinguish between general salvation, which is a physical redemption from physical death through the power of the resurrection, And contrast that with individual salvation that comes to only those people who qualify themselves for at least some measure of glory, beginning with the telestial condition and going on up to terrestrial and then the celestial uh, kingdom. And so essentially we have all of these things that uh, relate to this concept of redemption that is denied to uh, sons of perdition. So this is why in Doctrine and Covenants section 76, it says the Lord saves all of them except sons of perdition. Only they are the ones on whom second death shall have power. They remain filthy and they are vessels of wrath. Uh, We're told this in the 88th section of the Doctrine and Covenants, verse 35. Quote, Any who breaketh a law and abideth not by law but seeketh to become a law unto himself, and willeth to abide in sin, and altogether abideth in sin, cannot be sanctified by law, neither by mercy, justice, nor judgment. Therefore, they must remain filthy still." Quote. And What this essentially means is that uh, those who are mortal sons of perdition will arise from the grave with physical bodies that are essentially of no use to them. Now, the word second death is synonymous with other terms such as outer darkness, and this conveys the thought of a place where there is not a single ray of light that can come, either spiritual or physical. There's no ray from the light of the sun, moon, a twinkling star, or even a passing comet. And so when we use outer darkness to describe um, second death, it's essentially the same thing, but the focus or emphasis is on this just complete and utter lack of uh, light. If we talk about Uh, second death as a lake of fire and brimstone, the emphasis tends to be on the idea of torment. And so you have things where it's described as this place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's also uh, something that is described as a final hell, as opposed to a temporary hell. So we know that when a person dies, uh, if he has been wicked, and I guess we need to include you sisters as well. Sorry about that. Um, but at any rate, if we uh, have a person who is going into spirit prison in the post-mortal spirit world, um, they experience hell, but it is only a temporary hell and yes it can be conditions of outer darkness it can be conditions of lake and fire and brimstone in symbolic terms but at the time of the resurrection as long as they merit at least a telestial glory then for them the hell becomes but a temporary place and it doesn't become enduring and lasting as a final hell but for sons of perdition Uh, All of these conditions uh, continue from the time that they're in uh, the post-mortal spirit world, in outer darkness, lake of fire and brimstone, hell, all of those things then become enduring conditions for them. Now, we need to distinguish uh, the second death from the concept of spiritual death. So in Doctrine and Covenants section 29 verse 41, it states, quote, wherefore, I, the Lord God, caused that he, meaning Adam, should be cast out from the Garden of Eden from my presence because of his transgression, wherein he became spiritually dead, which is the first death, even that same death, which is the last death, which is spiritual, which shall be pronounced upon the wicked when I shall say, depart ye cursed close quote so you see we're, we're having an intermixing of terms here because we have uh, Adam <clears throat> when he was cast out of the garden of Eden became spiritually dead that technically becomes the first death because he was spiritually dead before he was ever temporally dead and uh, that is also we're told in this verse the same kind of spiritual death that gets pronounced upon the wicked but at the time that this spiritual death gets it's pronounced upon the wicked and it becomes an unalterable condition that they are relegated to forever then that form of spiritual death we also call the second death all right and obviously these these concepts of spiritual death and second death are much more serious in their consequences than physical death and this is taught to us by the savior in matthew 10 28 where he said fear not them which kill the body but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell Close quote um, and so th- that's the distinction that uh, we're going to be making and i'm going to continue to draw this distinction as we uh, continue to talk here so why do we call this spiritual death that becomes a final and permanent condition a second death and the reason is is because the first death generally speaking is uh, referred to as the physical or temporal death which is the dissolution of the body and the spirit and so the second is to become dead as to things of righteousness that is to be alienated from things of the spirit and from things of righteousness now let's let's start to distinguish a little bit between the phrases second death and spiritual death a spiritual death generally speaking is a temporary banishment from the presence of god this is i referenced a moment ago when adam and eve were kicked out of the garden of eden The first death for them that came was a spiritual death. They died as to things of righteousness until their baptisms and receipt of the gift of the Holy Ghost, at which point uh, they ceased to be spiritually dead. They were still physically alive, and they were also spiritually alive. And because the technically first physical death um, is uh, the first thing that happens in terms of death that we kind of recognize, then we call the second death, um, this permanent separation from the presence of God, as a second death. Now, keep in mind also that uh, this idea of spiritual death is not limited to Adam and Eve getting kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Every person that is born into this world in its fallen condition exists in a condition of spiritual death, just the same as Adam. We're all subject to the fall of Adam and the consequences of his fall, we come into life inheriting those same qualities and characteristics, which means that even though we have committed no sin and we are born innocent coming into this world, because of the consequences of the fall of Adam, we come to this world in a fallen, spiritual, spiritually dead condition, which gets overcome, of course, when we are baptized and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, we can, are, can, this new or rebirth essentially raises us from this uh, condition of spiritual deadness. Now, s- distinguish that also from the point in time when people become accountable at the age of eight who uh, up to that point were unbaptized and spiritually dead. They get baptized and now they're spiritually alive. But the first moment that they commit some type of sin, then by their own actions, by their own accountability, they become spiritually dead again to the extent of their sins and transgressions and must needs repent on an ongoing basis to renew the spiritual life that they enjoy. And so uh, people who die in their sins Um, are going to be spiritually dead in this life, but as they enter into the post-mortal spirit world, if they have died in their sins, they're the ones that go off into spirit prison, and they're not able to enter into the celestial paradise as disembodied spirits. Those who do repent uh, and are worthy uh, to enter the celestial paradise, that is, they live celestial law, they've been baptized, received the gift of the Holy Ghost, kept their covenants. We're not talking just about people that go to the temple alone. We're talking about anybody who has met those preliminary uh, requirements, the ordinances of baptism and uh, the gift of the Holy Ghost, as long as they're faithful to those covenants, they can enter into the celestial kingdom and they, at the time of their death, can enter into celestial paradise as disembodied spirits. If you're in celestial paradise when you die, then you are not spiritually dead in that place. Everybody else who ends up over in uh, the post-mortal spirit world or that part of it that we call spirit prison are in some Form a, a spiritually dead until the time of their resurrection. So, is there a lake of fire in uh, spirit prison where you find disembodied spirits? The answer is yes, there is. Is there outer darkness in spirit prison? Yes, there is. Is there hell in spirit prison? Yes, there is. On all of these things, uh, represent a spiritual death, which is both a condition and a place. But as I mentioned before, this can be a temporary place uh, for those people who repent in spirit prison and qualify themselves to enter into celestial paradise and ultimately into the celestial kingdom. For them, all of these conditions are but a temporary condition. Now, keep in mind also that in spirit prison, you have a gradation of light. It's not like All or nothing. I mean, this life doesn't exist in that condition, so why should uh, the post-mortal spirit world be any different? And it's not. Essentially, you have some people who are terrestrial worthy. In fact, you probably and do have people who are celestial worthy uh, that uh, arguably they might not even be faced with spiritual death in their condition in spirit prison because the only reason they're there is because they have not received vicariously the ordinances of baptism and gift of the holy ghost so while internally uh they have these spiritual gifts and talents they feel the presence of uh, the lord um, but they can't go over to paradise because they don't have their ordinances they they technically are spiritually dead because they're not in spirit paradise. They haven't been reborn by the uh, baptism and fire of the Holy Ghost. So yeah, they're spiritually dead. But there's a, a far cry difference between them and these murderers, these whoremongers, these sorcerers, these liars, everybody that John identifies that are re- these really bad guys. Uh, and they exist not only... Um, In spiritual darkness but uh, it they they lack light Uh, and for them it is truly a place of torment that we associate with the the lake of fire it is truly this spiritual darkness that we associate with outer darkness it is truly a hell uh, in the worst possible sense of the world but all of this is still very much temporary if they repent and are resurrected to a kingdom of glory then they get to go on and uh, again they're not spiritually dead in the worst sense of the word, although there are going to be some degrees that I'll talk about in a moment. On the other hand, if you have those spirits in the post-mortal spirit world, spirit prison specifically, and they don't repent or can't repent because they are sons of perdition, then that spiritual death, the condition of spiritual death that exists for them in spirit prison will then endure and continue. And that's when that temporary spiritual death becomes for them a second death now resurrected people that go to a terrestrial or celestial kingdom of glory as i have said they cease to be spiritually dead but this is also uh something that happens by degrees and by shades it's not all or one thing or another and so yes spiritual death ceases for them as they are brought up uh out of hell at the resurrection uh which is essentially uh this concept that they're def- they're banished from the presence of god so people in the celestial kingdom receive the holy ghost vir- via the ministrations of the terrestrial kingdom and so if you have the holy ghost and you're blessed by his presence, even though you don't enjoy the fullness of the Son or the fullness of the Father, you are no longer spiritually dead to that extent, because you're no longer banished from the presence of God. So the presence of God is marked not only by the fullness of his person being present with you, but by the presence of his Spirit, which is the Holy Ghost. And so to that degree, they are then in the presence of God. And so compare that and contrast that with the uh, Verse we read from the twenty ninth section of the Doctrine and Covenants, where it described Adam as being spiritually dead until the time that he was baptized received the Holy Ghost at which time he was no longer spiritually dead. Um, now, the thing that you have to keep in part is that you can uh, be still spiritually dead in part, depending on the degree of your spiritual death and so if you think of this in terms of the uh, Princess bride. <laughs> <laughs> you know when wesley was uh dead he, he appeared to be dead but uh miracle max says no it turns out he's only mostly dead and uh so that's what we have once you uh, inherit a celestial kingdom you're you're mostly alive because you have the spirit of the holy ghost uh, to bless you and in that sense you're in the presence of God but it, it is again a matter of degree they certainly those in the celestial kingdom are not spiritually dead in the sense of suffering a second death permanently but by contrast they are by no means spiritually alive in the sense of the kind of fullness that they receive when they are in the celestial kingdom. And so it gives us something to kind of uh, shoot for. So now let's kind of uh, just summarize some of the things that we've talked about here in terms of spiritual death and second death, uh, because there's a, a lot of moving pieces to what these things involve. And so if we talk first about a spiritual death, first of all, it can be temporary or it can be final. So if it's a temporary spiritual death, this is something that can be uh, felt and that exists in the lake of fire. It is called hell. It is called Hades. It is called Sheol. Uh, all of these things represent the type of temporary spiritual death that can be experienced by people. It can also occur uh, and did occur, for example, when Adam and Eve were cast out of the Garden of Eden. That was a first spiritual death. It is the condition that we're all born into in this life because of the fall of Adam. It is a condition that exists when accountable people sin in this life and continues until they repent and also have and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And it applies to disembodied spirits in spirit prison. All of those things are spiritual death, but they're also things that are temporary. The other type of spiritual death that you have is a final spiritual death. This can happen in degrees if you end up in the terrestrial or celestial kingdoms, and it can also turn into what we call second death. That is, this final spiritual death is also the second death that gets applied to sons of perdition who are in outer de- darkness. Now, this concept of second death also in some senses, can be considered temporary and final as well. And so a second death is uh, temporary um, when, for example, all people who die physically and then become subject to second death spiritually. It's also something that is symbolized Uh, by the the words Gehenna and the lake of fire when it is final and outer darkness when it is final. It applies to sons of perdition, both those who are unembodied from the time of their rebellion in premortality as well as disembodied uh, where that condition is suffered at least from the time of the commission of their unpardonable sin in mortality. So all of these terms are interrelated, and uh, you, you just kind of kind of got to keep them a little bit distinguished in your mind. So by way of conclusion, uh, the second death that we've been talking about is one side of a coin that is opposite eternal life. This is typical in apocalyptic in a, in literature, where everything is kind of black and white. We see this Uh, repeatedly in the Book of Mormon which is almost entirely apocalyptic in the sense that there's no gray. So if we think of the Book of Mormon and its discussions about uh, hell and eternal life and it doesn't ever talk about things like terrestrial and celestial and there are these gradations and the reason is, is because the Book of Mormon is uh really very much apocalyptic like john is in his book the apocalypse uh, where everything again is uh you're in second death or you're in eternal life which is exaltation and so that's kind of why this tends to become a a coin with on one side you have eternal life and on the other side um, you have this second death. It seems like there's no room in between, even though we know uh, on the in the grand scheme there is this continuum from uh, black to white and a lot of stuff between second death and spiritual death and eternal life. It's not a pass fail situation, and that would be very much a concern, because if it's pass-fail, it means that uh, that bar to get into the celestial kingdom is a fairly low bar, but it includes murderers, sorcerers, and everything else, and uh, uh, we have to be willing to accept that we can be partially dead spiritually through our actions and inactions, and our goal is and must always be to have eternal life in which there is not one scintilla where we have outer darkness where there's no ray of light no ray spiritually physically or whatever on the opposite extreme we have a place where there is not even the smallest particle of darkness that exists in the celestial kingdom in the fullness of the father and the son Jesus Christ and that's what we ultimately need to be achieving you know President Nelson said in his uh, m- most recent conference talk in October 2023 that we need to think celestial um and I'm, I I hasten to to add that I think we we need to act celestial we need to be celestial because that's the only way in which we are not going to suffer in some sense a spiritual death temporarily and or permanently if and when it becomes a second death. So it's my hope that we can do that. I thank you for listening, subscribing, sharing. Thanks to Jenna Daly for all the technical stuff. Next week, we're going to talk about the the saints in Pergamos. So we're moving uh, on. We're going to get another letter and the commendations to those saints in Revelation chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. This is now our third church of seven that we will be discussing. And I look forward to seeing you next week.